getting the answer right. I'm more concerned in why. Why is this the Bible for you? If you are some of the, one of those who said, yes, this is the Bible for me, why is this the Bible for you? Do you know why? Is it uh, just because you were told that? Or is it because the Bible says this is God's word or because the Bible says things? And so if someone were to ask you why do you like the Bible so much or why do you believe the Bible is God's word, what are you going to say? Would you say, because the Bible says so? Because that sounds kind of circular a little bit. You know, we read the Bible and say, ha, see, the Bible says it's God's word, so it, it is God's word. Maybe that's good enough when we're children, but we're grown-ups now, aren't we? And uh, that does kind of sound a little bit circular, doesn't it? And if, if that is enough, I mean, I think deep down we know that's not enough, but if it is enough, I made a slide. Look at this slide here. I don't see any of you getting up to empty your wallets. It says this is the word of God. And so if you're not giving me your money, then you're disobeying God's word because it says it's God's word. Obviously, this is not God's word. And obviously, we need more to it. If we're going to claim and stand on the Bible as this is God's word, I know it. I know it to be true. Then we need some external proof, don't we? Internal proof is fine, too, because just because the Bible says it's God's word or because the Bible says these things doesn't mean it's wrong, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Aren't there other sacred scriptures out there or other books from other religions, and don't they make kind of similar claims? So what's wrong with that? Why, if you said, yes, this is the book for you, then I want you to know why. Why, why is this book different than other books? How do you know this is the book for you? Now, some of you said, well, yeah, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that is the book for me. Um, maybe you didn't sing along in your heart. And maybe for you, this isn't the book for you anymore. Maybe it used to be, but as you grew up, you started reading some things that maybe disturbed you, or you heard other people's arguments about this, this book, and you, you started think, well, wondering and second-guessing. and maybe, maybe this isn't you know, the book for me. And maybe some of you are thinking, I don't really know what to do with this anymore. And so this sermon series is for you as well. This sermon series, the next, this week and the next uh, those three weeks total, this is a, a sermon about the Bible, sermon series about the Bible. And it is for those of you who believe this is your book, but I want you to learn why and to be able to express and to really know deep down why this is the book for you. And for those of you who have maybe given up on the Bible, maybe you had a children's Bible and you loved the children's version, but not the grown-up version so much, this is also for you. I want to encourage you and, um, to reconsider and to come back to the Bible as your, bu- your book and as God's revelation um, to you. Maybe some of you think, it, like, if I could quote the scripture, the Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, and uh, I walked like a child, but now that I'm an adult, you know, I put those childish ways behind me, and maybe for you, um, putting the Bible aside is your way of growing um, into adulthood and putting childish things behind you. So this is uh, the Bible for grown-ups. I got this title from another church. The sermon series I had in mind, I just didn't really have a good title for it, and then I found this, the Bible for grown-ups, and so um, we're using another church's uh, video it was kind of haunting, though, a little bit, wasn't it? The B-I-V-L-E, this, that's the book for me. But the content of the sermon uh, is not borrowed uh, from this other church. So in case you see it online, uh, they have the same intro video, but the, the, the sermon content will be different. 
And Mondays, um, if you're uh, following along in the sermon notes, then some of the small groups will be studying more on this topic <laughs> to come. I like the title of the Bible for grown-ups better than um, like the adult version or a Bible for adults because that can have different connotations. And my mother, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't get these connotations you know, sometimes if it's like, oh, this is the you know, adult version. Um, and so she used to be our church librarian when I was younger. And um, she was in charge of getting you know, DVDs, like VeggieTales maybe, or children's books, and then, and then all sorts of books. And um, she loved that there were so many DVDs, or maybe it was probably videotapes, right? VHS for children. But, but she mentioned to our youth pastor one time that she wished our church library had an adult video section. And our youth pastor thought that was just hilarious because, see, that has a different connotation, right? And so that was 30 years ago. And every time I see this guy at youth, whatever conferences we're meeting, he's like, remember when your mother wanted to have an adult video section in our church library? I'm like, yes. So grown-ups, okay? So this is the Bible for grown-ups, all right? I like that connotation a little bit um, better. So this is for those of you who say, yes, this is my book. I want you to know why, though. And it's also for those of you who maybe it used to be your book, and you're like, you're not so sure anymore. But it's also for, for those of you who think, well, I don't even, who you may think, what do I even need this book? Like, can't I just go on loving God and, and loving others and, and just being nice? Like, what's the purpose? Why, why do I even, I don't really need this. And so I want to encourage this is to encourage you to come back to the Bible, and I'm going to give you three reasons why um, I think you should keep your Bible on your shelf rather than throwing it away as if it's childish. So if you have notes, please bring them out. If you want to look online, cornerstonealliance.info, there are notes that you can follow along. You can type in your notes and email them to you as well. Uh, feel free at any time to go grab some notes at the back if you want to follow along. Uh, some of the Bible verses will be up on the screen, but not all of them. So it's helpful uh, if you have a Bible on your phone or your Bible in front of you, and also uh, if you have the notes. Let me get my notes out. So just because the Bible says... It is God's word. It just because the Bible says something, makes a claim, doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. Because if that were true, then of course the Bible would make these claims. But it also doesn't mean it's right. So for example, if you think it's just good enough, hey, the Bible says it, you know, so I believe it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, for example, is uh, one of the few Bible verses that talk about the Bible. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Boom, right there, in your face. See, that's why God's word is God's word. That doesn't work, right? The circular argument doesn't really work, just like if I have PowerPoint slides saying, give me money because this is God's word. There are some verses that talk about the scriptures, and they're listed. You can read those, but we need something a little bit more. So reason uh, number one in this today's sermon on the Bible for grown-ups is, um, look at my notes. Here's why you keep the Bible on your shelf, because if you feel, you know, I can just get along with my life, I can serve God and love God and love others, and I can fulfill everything that's there without even using the Bible, or I don't really need it, here's the reason, number one, why you still need this Bible. If you try to seek God outside of the Bible, okay, without the Bible, 
It's like trying to discover the principles of quantum physics from scratch. I do not know physics or quantum physics, but if you were to just start all over from the beginning, it would be really, really hard. Like, if we had to rediscover gravity all over again, like our world would be in chaos. And yes, this world is huge and it's beautiful, and if you're more of like a nature person and you like, I like connecting with God, uh, going for hikes, um, that's a great way to connect with God, and you can learn. Uh, more about God that way. Some people connect very well. Um, I'm more who would connect by reading, but others connect by, in, that, that's a good way to connect with God. But God is huge, and he, our universe is huge, and God is so much greater than that. We need more than this. Just like scientists today, or biologists, or whoever, are standing on the shoulders of people who went before them, because there's a what, discovery, and then a little, like they, they, they create little discoveries at a time, and then it's a big change. We're also standing on the shoulders of spiritual giants and we use the scriptures. We can learn so much about God, giving yourself a head start. You can't really seek God apart from what has already been revealed by God himself in the scriptures. So I want, you to, I want to encourage you to keep the Bible on yourself. Also, reason number two is, as you are well aware, you have blind spots. Every person, every community, every generation has kind of blind spots, where we are um, so much a part of our culture, so much a part of our generation, and it's easy for us to see, maybe younger people, it's easy for you to see older people, so you know, you guys, you can't see this, because, you know, you just don't get it, and older people might think of younger people, yeah, but sure, you're short-sighted, and you don't really get it either, we could, we, it's easy to see the blind spots, to see the areas that we can't quite, um, in other people, but it's the same with cultures, we have, we're conditioned a certain way by our upbringing, by our culture, and so, our ideas and our thoughts about God are going to be formed a little bit by our culture surrounding us. That's easy to understand. Every generation, every culture has its own blind spots. But So if you set out to search for God, apart from the Bible, you'll probably end up finding a God who looks just like you. The same political views, the same views about this or that, because you are just following along with the current trends of your community or your culture or your generation. But when we come to the Bible, we're looking at God through these eyes of hundreds and thousands of years of different ages, different societies, different cultures, different languages, and they don't share our own assumptions about how the world works. They have different, so it's, it, it helps us to remove the blinders when we interpret, we're entering into this conversation of thousands and thousands of years of biblical interpretation. And we have thousands of years of, of readers who've been reading with their own experiences and their concerns and their perspectives. And yes, we can point out some of their blind spots, but it also helps us to see a little bit. It helps you to be objective, actually. So it's really good to keep the Bible um, on yourself. We, we are less tempted to just bow down to the spirit of our age, and make a God in the image of what is popular today. This is why uh, the Bible is very helpful. And reason number three is uh, the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Let's just start with Jesus. And so, yes, the Bible says things about itself. It's not necessarily wrong, but it's not necessarily right. Let's look at some outside evidence of why this Bible needs to be our book. Let's start with Jesus. There's a picture um, in your notes. It kind of looks, now that I look at it, um, this morning when I was looking at it, it kind of looked like a giraffe 
with his hair parted in the middle. Um, don't play Pictionary with me. This is a, a, a path, and at the end is the Bible. And those spots that look like giraffe spots are stepping stones. And so you start at the bottom with step one, and you move to step two, three, and eventually leads us to the Bible as God's word. So we start with Jesus. That's the first step there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are biographies. These are historical accounts of who Jesus is, uh, what he did, what he taught. And even if you are an agnostic or an atheist or a Muslim or whoever, everyone agrees that these four documents are historical and they were written very close in time to the events when they actually happened. Like, you don't have to be a Christian to believe. It's just kind of, it's like a fact. Even people who fight against um, the Word of God as the Word of God, they, they, you have to admit that these were written in the first century, just 10 years, in some cases, after these events took place. That's a very, very short time. These things were written when eyewitnesses were still alive and walking around. And so once these gets, get written, and if they're passed around, people will be like, wait a minute, I was there, and that was wrong. That didn't happen. But the eyewitnesses were able to say, yeah, these are legit. This is what happened. I was there when it happened. For example, the teachings of Buddha, the earliest teachings of the great Buddha were written 500 years after Buddha passed away. And those, like that, that's a huge difference. Compared to like 10, you know, 20 years. Even... Even if you want to be, uh, um, well, 30 years would be maximum. No one thinks any of these are written after uh, the year 90, and some as early as 60 or 70. So shortly after um, Jesus passed away and went to heaven, this is, um, passed away sounds weird for Jesus, doesn't it? He just died and was resurrected. Uh, these were written. And so even if you just look at this as history, you cannot deny the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are good, historical, accurate accounts of what Jesus did and uh, what he, how he responded and what he, about what he said he was. And so th this is just a really good starting point. You don't even need the Bible to tell you that this is God's word. Just start here. Start with, these, start with Jesus. Start with his, his historical accounts. And then that would be the first step okay, in this giraffe journey. And then the second step as you, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you understand, you come to love Jesus. I mean, a lot of people who don't like religion, they still like Jesus. People who don't like Jesus, I think, it's just because they don't understand him. He is the most loving and compassionate and most amazing person in the world. Not only that, it's the most amazing movement that has ever happened. This book um, was written, um, it is published and, and uh, stolen and, and shared more than any other book in 100 million copies a year. That's what they say. This, this is an amazing account, even just from a non-Christian perspective. So start, at least with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you do that, you will learn to love Jesus. And you'll say, oh, I wish I was there when that happened. He is pretty awesome. And then you learn to trust him. And you realize that I, I want to be like this. Like, if everyone were like Jesus, this world would be perfect. And maybe someday we will get there, but I know someday we will get there. We won't be like Jesus, but the world will be perfect because he'll come and make it um, perfect. But start there. I think anyone can start there, right? Wherever you're com whatever faith you're coming from or non-faith, start with the Gospels. You learn to love Jesus. And you see what he teaches. And you see what he's saying. 
And not only that, but these are historically accurate, and everyone says these are good accounts of who Jesus is. And then you realize you see what Jesus talks about the Old Testament. And there's a lot of uh, references in your notes. You can study those later. But he refers back to the Old Testament so many times. I only put some of them. There's a whole list in your notes, but only some of them are there. And what, what he thinks about the Old Testament scriptures. And you realize, well, if this is you know, historically accurate, I and mean, Jesus, I love him, and he's amazing, and he's talking this way, we get to the point where we realize this is, this is like a revelation you know, from God. These are easy steps, I think, that anyone can take. And then, and then um, as you're reading these accounts, you realize that Jesus promised something, step four. And then Jesus promises that God would bring his holy, send his spirit to inspire uh, his disciples. If God, God came to us through Jesus, if that is true, as the claims are made in the scriptures, then it makes sense that he would have a plan for preserving this for future generations, right? And so John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, those references are there too. They, they talk about it. He says, I'm sending the Spirit who will teach you everything I have said and remind you of all of those things. And so that we see, the, okay, this, is, this just makes sense. And then, and then you see the early believers, the early church, the apostles, those who were, who were with Jesus and started the churches, they're, they're following along as well. And they are affirming these letters that were written by Paul, these, these gospels that were scattered around. And so you, very quickly you get to the point, this is, this is pretty good. From the very beginning, the, the orally, Christians would be telling these stories of Jesus and then and then they would be written down, and then they would validate what they already knew. And it was early on, so people could totally have said, no, that's wrong, and they didn't. The, the writings that were not real or, or were inauthentic were quickly rejected. And then these earliest writings were, were embraced as scripture uh, by the church. I mean, just start with Jesus. Just start at least with the Gospels. And so Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he writes this. He says, many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Okay, this is like way back then, remember. He says, just as they were handed down to us okay, by those who, were, who from the first were eyewitnesses. So these people were there. They were eating with Jesus. They were partying with Jesus. They were walking around with him. They were there, eyewitnesses, and they were handed down. And Luke wants to uh, write these things down. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated... Okay, Luke was a physician, he's a story. He, he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you. You see, other people were writing accounts as well, Luke said, right? Mark, Matthew, and, and these other accounts were also being written. Luke says, I also decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Theophilus may have been a wealthy person, and maybe he had ordered. Um, Luke, you know, I'll pay for you, we'll give you like a grant you know, to go study, learn all these things, write this down. That's one of the theories of who Theophilus was. And so he's writing these things down. Other people are writing them as well. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, um, We didn't follow these cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses. Like we were there when it happened. These are eyewitnesses. This isn't 500 years later. This is like right then. And then one more verse, um, verses, 1 John chapter 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, he says, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. 
we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is undisputed. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these stories that were written, we understand these to be historically accurate. Early on, written right away um, for future generations to follow along. Now, why did the church want to do that? There was an oral uh, culture, and they would remember these. They had better memories than, than we did. They would pass these things down from generation to generation with these stories, maybe around a campfire or whatever. But as time went on, the church was feeling that there was a drift away from that life that Jesus came to bring and to teach and to show. Other people were, were starting to also write Gospels, and other people were starting to write things. And as these things were being disseminated, they were like, we, we need to, we need to um, find out what, what, which is most accurate, which is correct. And so it was starting to get larger and larger. And so some other thoughts were starting to be um, filtered in. And so they decided they needed to write um, these things down. They need to figure out which are legit and which are not. And so this isn't something, book that was just like handed down, like all of a sudden appeared. Maybe like some other religious books, like boom, here's this book. Ta-da, that's how it happened. These books are written on purpose. They probably weren't thinking that I'm writing scripture, although Paul talks often about comparing letters to scripture as well. But these were written because they needed to define what, what is it that we, we believe as time moves on. There were other Gospels that were written, the Gospel of Thomas, uh, Philip, all these other ones, and they realized, okay, how, how do we know? Like, what's going on? So this is what they did. Um, the churches that were there, that were the, early on, this was still in uh, the first few hundred years, probably right around 300 or 328, something like that, 397, whatever, three-something. We have the Bible that we have in our hands now. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John did not have that. Peter... Paul, they did not have the Bible that we have right now. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and letters that Paul wrote were kind of they were in scrolls. And so you would carry this long scroll, and if they're too long, you'd have to have two scrolls, because the scroll could only be so long, apparently. And they put these into like a chest and carry them around. And this was like, you know, the letters from Paul or the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it started getting um, a little bit too much. Also, technology advanced, and they learned how to use technology for their benefit. We often struggle, right, with this technology going too far ahead of us before we're even ready for it. The technology that was developed back then was the codex, which is like the book. And now the scrolls, we can put all these scrolls into like a book. And so this was one of the, the reasons too, that we can start doing this. Also, uh, during the, the reign of Diocletian, he was persecuting Christians and he was having dragging them out and saying, all your Christian books and, and literature, get them, we're going to burn them. And so the early Christian community had to decide, which ones are we ready to die for? And which one's not? There are different reasons. There was uh, this Gnostic belief that was making its way into Christianity, or philosophy from, from outside, not one that Jesus taught, but they made Jesus center of their faith and said it made it very difficult for the churches to discern um, what is right or, or what, what is wrong. And so early on, they decided we need to put this together. So what were some of the criteria that they used for bringing all these things together? You might imagine that it's kind of like Da Vinci Code or Hollywood, you know, version where like the people who have power, the people who are in authority wanted to squash the minorities and people who didn't really have power, we're going to have it our way. 
So this is what we're going to do, and this is how we made, made the scriptures. And so therefore, it's, it's too bad that some of these got left out, but maybe they should have been included uh, in the first place. But I, do you know how we, how we came to, to have this, this Bible? There's three main reasons, three main um, criteria that they use. One of them is something we call apostolicity. And so was it written by an eyewitness of Jesus? Was it written by someone who was there at the time? So as time went on, people, other people were starting to write things, yeah, but you weren't there at the time. So first of all, was it written by an apostle or Paul, who kind of had special privilege because he met Jesus in a special way? Was it written by one of these people? That was one of the things. So there's like the Gospel of Thomas is, is pretty cool. There's other Gospels that tell about um, Jesus' early childhood years. And that would be really cool to include, right? Because what, what was he like when he was four and five, right? They exist, but they're not included in our scriptures. The Gospel of Thomas is very cool. Well, that exists, but why was not that? Why was that not included? Well, um, part of it is it was not written by someone who was known to be an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, and it was too late. It was, that was written like 60 years. Whew, you know, that's really late. 60 years after, it was too long. So they, they chose those that were in the first century by apostles. It wasn't because we don't like that or because that's, that's dumb. We don't agree with that. Uh, well, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So apostolicity was it written by people who were known to be with Jesus Christ. Catholicity, meaning universality. So all the churches that were starting to spread out, which letters of Paul were they using? Which letters of Peter were they using? So they got together, and if there was only like one church that was using this one, the Gospel of Hermes or something or, or whatever, they'd be like, well, that's pretty minor. It's not really accepted. Among, but what are the ones we already accept? Which are the ones are we already using? And they got together and said, these are the ones we're already, they'd already affirmed. You know, because it was my grandfather who was the one who was walking around with Paul so I know these things, I've heard them, this, these are the things that we use. So some of these great gospels would be fun to, to learn to, about Jesus, oh, they were just too late. It was written too late, it was not written by someone who was known, and it just wasn't accepted widely. So some people think that the, the church, the early church fathers decided what they wanted and they put it and they excluded things on purpose, but rather it was, what, what are we using? Like, what are all these churches using? All right, let's get them together. And then finally, there was what they called a rule of faith, or some people would term it orthodoxy. How are we living out this Jesus life? How are we living out his teachings? And let's look at all the churches there. And, and this is, it kind of has to agree with this. And therefore, Gnosticism didn't fit. And other kinds of philosophy just didn't fit. And so this is how they came um, to have our Bible. The Old Testament is a little bit more confusing. It was written many more thousands of years ago. We don't really know exactly. There's some, some stories about how it came to be. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they were discovered, pretty much every book in the Old Testament was also found in those fragments, except a couple. And Jesus referred to them so often. But the Jewish people basically had uh, their scriptures in the early um, couple hundred years as well, pretty firm. And then um, the early church began putting together these scriptures. They called it the canon, the rule the rule or the, the measuring stick. So that leads to a question, you know, there is the Old Testament. This is what the Jewish people had. And then Christians come along and we add to it. Right? And then, um, is it finished? Like, um, a few hundred, several hundred years later, uh, the Quran appears for the, the, the Muslim. That the Muslim, so 
they're adding. I mean, they believe Abraham was their father, and they call Abraham a friend of God, and they love Jesus as a prophet. And in the same way that Christians have added to you know, the Jewish scriptures, they've continued. So it's, they view us because that is the Old Testament. And then Mormons, and Joseph Smith even more recently had a newer revelation. And so um, they're the Book of Mormon. And, and then, how do, is that not the same? Well, it's not. And here's why. The Jewish scriptures were open. They hadn't closed those scriptures. And all of scripture, and they're, they're looking forward to this new time, this new covenant, this new ending. God is going to come and do something new. And you can see that all through the old scripture. They're waiting for that. They're waiting for that time to come. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. He said, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. And then as, as they worked these, they put these together and they gave the Bible that we have now, this tells us everything that's happening. Like it's already done. We know what's going to be happening in the future. We can see God's plan. It comes to fulfillment. And so it's not like there's something more that we're waiting for. And so the canon was closed around the year 397. Maybe it was 397. Google it if you want to know exactly. Which brings us to the question then this. How is it that all of a sudden, uh, one day, in the year 397, did God just all of a sudden stop speaking to people? Did it just overnight, and now it's done? So um, you'll notice, um, you can... If you don't believe me, you can search this up on your own, but just, just save yourself some time and believe me. When I grew up, before I went to Bible college, I thought that inspiration was a category, was a criterion for determining what scriptures, what books went into scripture. It wasn't. I was shocked when I learned that at Bible college. Because, oh, this is the, the, these, these letters that Paul wrote and Peter, and it's inspired. Therefore, it's God's word, which is true. But when our book, when our, all these scrolls are put together into one book, inspiration was not something that was a criterion. These words are inspired by God. But for that same word, inspiration, inspire, was also used by the same early church fathers for like a sermon by Constantine, the emperor Constantine. They said that was an inspired sermon. Sometimes in tombstones, they say, well, that was an inspired inscription. They did not think that God stopped speaking to them. That was not the purpose to close the canon to say, this is all that there is, it's done. Their purpose was to establish um, and to protect from heresies. This, this is what we believe. This is, this is it. This is not saying God doesn't keep on speaking anymore. And we can see that because they refer to inspiration for many things outside of Scripture. Just because it's inspired doesn't mean it gets to go into our Bibles. That was not a factor in determining whether these books or letters were included into our scripture. And some people see there's this, um, let me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Sometimes people read this and they think this is why the canon is, is closed, and the canon is closed. I'll read it for you. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need. Therefore, we don't need anything outside the Bible. This is, he's given us everything we need, period. And so we don't need to look at uh, you know, secular 
uh, psychologists, people who have studied Sigmund Freud. It's not in the Bible. We don't need it. We only need what has been revealed to us already in the Scriptures. And this is one of the verses that they might point to, 2 Peter uh, 1.3. This is everything we need. And so we don't, if it's not in the Bible, we don't need it. But as you look at the story of this, at how we got this Bible, inspiration was not a category. It was not something that they used to determine if this book gets included because they believed inspiration was still happening in even Emperor Constantine. It doesn't mean everything Emperor Constantine said was inspired, but there was an inspired sermon, there was an inspired tombstone inscription. God kept speaking to people. Closing of the canon was not to signify that God stopped speaking to us you know, all of a sudden at midnight and someday in the year 397. But this verse seems to imply for, for some that he's given us everything we need for a godly life. That's it. Verse 4, though, tells us the context is, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's to help us to escape the corruption uh, in the world caused by other philosophies, thinking, and desires. And so we can consult other books. We can consult other teachers. We can even learn from other religions. That's why we have this, this rule of faith. And so we say, oh, how does that you know, jive with this? The word of God as God has given to us. Does it contradict it? Okay, so then probably won't you know, use that as my life motto. But maybe it, it helps us to understand. So, so we study our archaeology, we study science, we study biology. Because the only person that could ever be wrong all the time is God. God is the only one who knows everything and is perfect all the time. So then he can intentionally you know, make a mistake sometimes. But we can't always be wrong. Sometimes we'll be right by mistake. We don't know if we're right or wrong. So, so we can use other sciences. Sciences, we can use research outside of the scripture, but we don't place it alongside scripture. If someone has an inspired word, we don't write it down and stick it into the Bible. Now it's you know, a new book of the Bible. We don't, it's closed. But we use this to help us determine, is this from God? Is this from God? Is this true? You know, is that true? Let me see. How does it relate? Does it jive with this? Does it go against this? Does it contradict it? And so this is the Bible for grown-ups. It's a little more in-depth. Bible for children. We need to understand why we have this book. Where did it come from? It's important for you to know that. Do you believe this is the book for you? Just start with Jesus. Jesus is the best, and it's always the good answer. Anyways, do you like him? It's historical. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can learn a lot about him right there. You, you've, you've got to love him. And then you need to trust him. I mean, he's, he's God in flesh. And see what he says about the scriptures. And, and you know, if he's, you know, you, you can get the, You don't even have to start with a circular argument that this is God's word because it says it's God's word or, or, you know, this is whatever it is because it says what it is. But it doesn't mean it's wrong. But all of that, we can, as Christians, Quote 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scriptures God breathed, because we know that from our experience of who Jesus is and what he's been, and we've been following, you just know. So the internal evidence is supported by external evidence. Start with Jesus and go from there. Take another step. Where are you on that journey? So some of you may have um, given up on the Bible. Go back to Jesus. Start over. Some of you think, I don't need the Bible. I could just live a good life and I could love others and love God. You're probably going to be 
creating a God more in your own image than in God's image. And that's, the Bible is helpful for this. And we haven't got to the fact that this is inspired and it's been God's word, it's been given to us and all that stuff. This is um, the Bible as we have it, and it is so important. Please read your Bible. I know some people don't like reading. You don't have to read. Listen to it. Technology keeps advancing. You can listen to it. Uh, or maybe you don't even want to, you can't, you, you've got you know, ADD and you just can't sit and listen. That's okay too. Join, join a community, a small group of people who are talking about scriptures together. You know, they didn't have the Bible back then. Not everyone carried around all these 66 scrolls because that would just, they didn't do that. You can be a follower of Jesus and not even have a Bible because for hundreds and thousands of years people did that. But you need to be in a community at least. If you're not reading it, if you're not studying it, that's okay. But listen to it. Or meet with others who are talking about it. This is the word of God. This is what we believe to be God's revealed word to us. Sometimes we don't like it. I get that. We can deal with that in community. Let's talk about those things that are difficult to ingest and to understand. But let's always go back to Jesus. Next week, I'd like to talk about translation. And there's, we are so blessed in, in, to be English speakers. We have so many different translations. And there's like new ones coming out all the time. And sometimes I think, really? But they think, oh, awesome. This is great. And you can compare things. When we say the Bible is inerrant, without error, we're not saying that the NIV translation is without error. No one ever says that. Or the English Standard Version, or the Holman Christian Standard, or the King James Version. No, that's not what we're saying. No one has ever claimed that the New International Version is inerrant. No translation is inerrant. We're talking about the original manuscripts given early on, which actually we don't even have anymore. Those are inerrant as originally given. This is our belief in inerrancy. So with all these translations, what do we do? I mean, are they all that significant? Maybe there's not that big of a difference? In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, in the NIV version, it says that Jesus saw a man with leprosy, and he became indignant and healed him. And I read that, I thought, oh, what? Like, isn't that, like, angry? Jesus became indignant and healed him. What, was he, like, pastoring too much? But then in another version, for example, the English Standard Version, it says Jesus had compassion on him and healed him. Like, that's a pretty big difference. I think I would, you know, like this version, right? Compassion. I want to think Jesus getting healing someone because he's indignant. So what do we do with all the different translations? Is there a best translation for you? Let's talk about translations next week on the Bible for grown-ups. Let me pray for you, and we'll sing one more song. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who reveals yourself to us. It's so great that you're not playing hide-and-seek and hiding. You make it easy for us to find who you are. Thank you for creating us to be relational and to reflect that part of, of your image as well. God, there is authority in your word. You say something and it happens. Teach us that authority. Teach us to, to submit to your authority, not to submit to other people, but to submit to you. Jesus, thank you for, for coming and giving up all that you had to come here and live on earth. That must have been an awful experience. Bring yourself so low and be ridiculed and mocked by the people you made. Thank you for doing that for us. Thanks for revealing yourself to us. God, continue revealing more of who you are to us here at Cornerstone. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.